welcome to Michigan HockeyCast 5.13, where I wonder what's going to happen in the last five minutes. talked about this a hundred times maybe more seems like more but we probably should discuss it a little bit before we get started because it just seems to keep popping up and you have a couple of different ideas and theories on it and obviously everybody gets lit up about it at times but um so the major penalties and the hits to the head there were two again this weekend um, you got a text from one of your buddies that said when was the last time Michigan made it through a weekend without having one of these or experiencing one of these. And, you know, we'll talk about them in each game as we get to that. But overall, it just is feeling like, like you mentioned in when we were prepping that this seems to be more of a Michigan problem. And it probably is considering you looking at all of the penalty minutes that they keep racking up and did last year. But like, are we now at the point where when you're coaching Michigan that when you get players in, you just like have to teach them to play like flag hockey where it's like, all right, look, there's just not a situation where it's worth checking someone where you could remotely come near their head because you're just going to get called. Even if it's a good call, the rule is almost impossible to avoid unless you just play in a way that there's no way you can hit a guy in the head. I mean, like some of these hits in football where you see defenders pulling up at the last second near the quarterback or on the sidelines because they don't want to get a late hit call, which I don't think is the worst thing in the world, but they're all approaching it very, very differently. And it feels like Michigan almost has to take that approach where you'd almost rather not fully check a guy than check him and get a five-minute call. Yeah, the the thing I think... First of all, when you look at the the penalty minutes numbers for the country, and I wish this is something College Hockey did, or College Hockey News or whoever, is sort of keep track of a penalty, five-minute penalties that are result in power plays versus two-minute penalties oh, versus yeah. sort of other ones. So I was looking at this over the weekend when there was discussion about how many weekends Michigan had gone without misconduct, blah, blah, blah. And I found that at least a couple of them, like especially I think they were talking about on the broadcast on Friday that Estapa, I think, is like the most penalized player in college hockey. In the country. He has whatever. almost like 100 Yeah, minutes. but I was looking this up, and like so a lot of those are like irrelevant penalties. Irrelevant? Um, right. So they like he had at least two ten minute misconducts with like two seconds left in a game <laughs> on a skirmish, right? There was that one against Notre Dame at the end. Oh yeah. There was a huge brawl. There was the one against Michigan State at Yost that was like a big brawl right at the end. Like that stuff I don't care about. Yeah. Like I don't that because you don't even serve the full You don't amount. serve it. It's at the end of the game, it's completely irrelevant. And like that is how those kinds of penalties are how uh, like the old enforcer class, the NHL would get to 350, 400 PIM in a season is through that kind of stuff. But that is just not very important, and it's pretty erroneous. Um, whereas it's funny they count them though, right? They do. I mean, that's like if yeah. you get if you get a ten minute major with five seconds to go, or or ten minute you yeah. know misconduct, it counts as ten minutes even though it's actually five seconds. Yep, that seems a little inflated. It's weird, it's weird but so those I don't really I don't care about that at all. 
I wanted to know about actually things that affect the game. Um, so that's something I wish there that we had more information on. However, we talked about this last year, and last year there were a lot less of those like game-ending brawls than there are this year. <laughs> and Michigan was near the top of the country in penalty minutes. Yeah, they are again this season, and even if that's inflated by whatever factors, it's still something that is pretty there. Because if you scroll down to the bottom, the least penalized teams. No, Quinnipiac, Bemidji, and then third from the bottom, Penn State. Then Stonehill, because they played one game. And then... <laughs> They've Min- only played one game? Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, and then Minnesota. So two of the bottom five, slash really four, are Big Ten teams. So even if you wanted to go with this assumption that it's just the Big Ten refs who are bad or whatever, and they're the reason Michigan gets hit with all these penalties, well, okay, but then why... Is there a this massive disparity, like almost eight minutes per game, between these teams at the at the bottom and and Michigan, who is uh, as of right now second from the from the top, only behind RIT. Wait, so, RIT is taking more yep. penalty minutes than Michigan. Yep. Wow. The the top five here's the top ten: RIT, Michigan, Lindenwood, ASU, Miami, Holy Cross, Air Force, Alaska, Princeton, Niagara. All those teams are terrible except for basically one. Right, which makes sense because yeah. you take more penalties if you don't have the puck, if you're chasing, blah, yeah. blah, blah. So the point is Michigan is an outlier, and they do get in some brawls, yes. Every year. At least for a few. Well, last year anyway. Sure. So this is a, a several-year problem going on here. Yeah. And I do think that warrants some discussion of sort of what needs to uh, kind of be done to prevent that. I mean, I think the easiest uh, answer is that, and this was the one that uh, affected Minnesota, the Snuggerud one. If there is a guy on the boards, do not hit him. Just don't hit him. Especially if he's like turned it, towards the board. The it doesn't matter. Just or... don't. <laughs> if, his, if you see the numbers, don't do it. <laughs> I mean, that's the; those are the easiest ones. I mean, those are the hits that everyone likes in hockey, where some guy's, like, skating there, and then you just, like, plaster him into the boards, and everyone's like, yeah, destruction or whatever. And it's sort of a, um, well, like, a, like a fan drawing so, to the so, game. So there's two parts to this. Okay. If the guy has the puck, and he's skating behind the net, and you come up, and you ram into him, that's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about whenever there's a guy against the boards. Yeah. And sometimes he's battling with another guy, yeah. and their backs are both to it, and they're jamming away trying to get the puck free. In that situation, that is what you do not do. Don't come in Don't, and like... Yeah, come in and fight for the puck. Yeah. Like, that That one is, is very easy and preventable. The other ones, open ice stuff, it's a lot harder for me to say not to do it, because, like... Guys aren't going for these just, like, massive hits. Like, a lot of these, like, we talked about the, the Ohio State one last week and other other hits we've seen this season across the middle, it's very rarely like they're sort of doing it on purpose and they're lining these up. And, like, none of them have like, huge killer impacts. Like, I mean, obviously... So, so you've watched a lot of hockey, not just yep. recently, but throughout sure. the history of hockey. You sure. go back and watch yep. a lot. So in those highlight packages or games, there's probably a lot of hits and fights and all that sort of stuff. I mean, do these hits sort of relate to the through the history of hockey in terms of like this is looks like a dirty hit or it looks like a cheap shot? Uh, the ones they flag in NCAA, not really. I mean, the ones that we see get called; those just happen. 
Like yeah. those are very routine. Like you'd see them in NHL games even now. Like there isn't like the ones I'm talking about in terms of open ice hits. Like if you really wanted to have this discussion of then like we would need to talk about to some degree Nick Cronwall's hits, although they were often more to the body than than the head. But those were like massive hits, yeah. right? Like because you know it would always be a guy coming up the boards at pretty high speed on a breakout, and then Cronwall would always turn his back and start skating backwards at top speed, and would just I mean you know it would be like they would hit, and the two guys both leave the ice because the force of collision is so massive. Well, and he probably uses his like hips and butt, yeah, and like yeah. probably I mean, he, he just probably guys. leans the top of his body away to stay away from his head, right? And then obviously Scott Stevens who was involved in many a famous ones, but wow. the most notable being two, uh, one on Eric Lindros and one on Paul Correa, both of which did undoubtedly lasting damage to them and shortened their careers, no question about it. Uh, especially Lindros, who had already had many concussion issues when that one happened. But that was in an era before the But they're also, taboo. even today, they would be legal hits in the NHL hmm. because both guys were playing the puck. You're allowed to hit a guy and separate him from the puck. But you're not allowed to hit him in the head. Uh, well, if it depends on sort of what's going on. I mean, those hits, I can tell you right now, would not be major penalties hmm. in the NHL. Okay. I mean, there's one I love from uh, the 97 finals, really the last great moment of, of Konstantinov's career, is one where he just crushes Dale Howardchuk at center ice. And it's the same story. Like, these are all similar kinds of hits. Guy coming through the middle's got the puck, head down, and just boom. And the guy just gets blasted off the puck and, and, you know, slams down on the ice. Like, those are ones that, you know, a whole crowd jumps up and starts going crazy. Uh, and, and they show up on highlight reels. The ones that we see in the NCAA are not really those kinds of hits. Like, there's none of them that we really see typically where a guy's body goes flying because the force of collision is, is so hard or really anything like that. And, you know, that's kind of what's peculiar about it. And it's also kind of a, a, a difference to some degree from the CHL, which in fairness, the CHL has always been rougher. Um, but I, I do think it's something to sort of think about. Um, and if there is now a different way you have to coach in college hockey, far more so than the CHL, which is obviously interesting because then when it goes to the NHL, a lot of those rules from the NCAA just kind of go away. Yeah. And that's, I mean, well, I mean, that's very but this NCAA, is, but, yeah, but, but this is who, like, again, this is who the NCAA has always been. Like, yeah. The NCAA prided itself from the very beginning on kind of creating a different uh, idea of hockey away from what was being practiced in Canada in particular. I mean, the NCAA didn't allow checking for, like, a long time, <laughs> at least in the offensive zone. Um, and, and, like, at the same time, I mean, let me see when that was. NCAA allows checking hockey. Let's take a look at this. Um Let's see. When uh, NCAA allowed checking in hockey. Because they were also the first ones to go with the helmets, right? And they were the first ones to go with the visors and then, you know, the full cages and all that kind of stuff. So like, it always been around the curve. Supposedly, like, player I'd safety. To, I'd have or... to go longer to look up Whatever. when it, that it, was. It's but okay. the point being, like, around the time... Because, like, I'm pretty sure it's they still weren't really checking, like, when Red played at Michigan. Well, and that was, I mean, that was in the, what, 50s? 60s. 60s. 
I would say like early 60s probably. But my point is, at that very same time, Red was at Michigan. That was like in the CHL when like a lot of the guys who eventually made the NHL in the 70s and made it so violent were in the CHL having these like 30-person brawls where like they're going into the crowd and beating people up. Like it was crazy, the the disparity between the two. It's a different time, Alex. And the games have converged over time, but the NCAA has still always had this philosophy of, you know, fake safety. Right. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of what it feels like, right? That's probably the best way to sum it up. Or, yeah. Anyway, so I, I, I mean, there wasn't really a point I wanted to get to with this. It just felt like it sort of needed to be talked about because it was relevant again in both games. And like, I just remember like when Minnesota got their major in on the Saturday game, it was more I just wanted them to have one because it was like we always get one. And like in this case, you definitely did see contact to the head. And so therefore it must be called, even though. I have like zero confidence anytime they go to a review that you're going to get the quote unquote right call, right? I mean, it's just, it feels like targeting. Yeah, I mean, targeting is the dumbest thing. I've well, thought. sure, that's that's a different conversation, and I don't disagree with probably anything you're going to say regarding that. I'm just saying that, like, trying to figure out is this a penalty? Should it be a penalty? And will it be called a penalty? I, are all different so I think that, results. I think that the college hockey major rule. I have a pretty good sense of when it's going to be and when it's not going to be. There are some that still are, are bamboozle me, but there's bamboozle. But there That's are good. most of the time, I look at it and know what they're going to say. Targeting, I have no idea. Most all of the time, yeah. And if you actually, I think if you did a a survey of a number of games in which targeting was enforced, and you had rules analysts or even just studying the 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 two guys in the booth, I'm pretty confident that a coin flip simulator would probably have more success. At predicting which ones were targeting and which ones were not than, it, than the analysts. Like, in, it's it's wild. Interestingly enough, did you see the tweet this weekend about, I believe it was NFL referees where now, like, the TV networks have bought up the better or the quote-unquote better NFL referees. So now they're all <laughs> going into the media booth and they're not on the field anymore and the NFL isn't paying enough to get them back and so when you get to be a good enough referee now you're not even on the field did you see did you see that i didn't see that but it is interesting and it's and it kind of makes i think the fundamental issue here is that at the end of the day hockey and football are violent sports yep they were designed to be violent and And that is a lot of what attracts the majority of people to it. it has always been that way and when you have a sport that is interested in in outright violence, and as over time we've learned long-term effects that violence in sports can have, yep. it has made people more uncomfortable. But also, we have to just accept that the people who play this know what they're getting into. And by now, you can't not, right? Like, Correct. there's you, you, yeah. you can grow up, like, under a rock in the middle of Wyoming or something, and you're still going to understand that. And at the end of the day, we have to uh, be okay that there will be very, very violent, very gruesome-looking hits that may cause long-term effects that are not penalties. Yeah. And that's just the way it goes. I mean, I don't think people like to accept that, but it's, there's very little way around it when you look at things, practically. I mean— Unless you want to limit—I mean, you could you could turn into flag football, and you could turn into no-check hockey, and hockey, and if you did it for— and football are— a lot closer to boxing and UFC than they are to tennis. Oh, yeah. It's just the way it is. Or even to, like, baseball. 
right? I mean, no, I mean, people, you know, nobody in boxing is like, oh, no, I hit to the head. Like, we just understand that <laughs> yeah, he got the point is to hurt each other, and yeah. the point is yeah. that these people, like, yeah, their brain will be jello by, like, 50, but they know that, and they're doing it anyway. And <laughs> these sports, you I know. I mean, there are people that climb mountains without, like, harnesses. Yeah, and a lot of them die. Right, but I don't think any of them are, like, I probably won't die. I'll never die. No, I mean it's no, just, it's just people do things. Risk. People do things with risk, yeah. and if you can't accept that, then uh, I don't know. Probably shouldn't do those things. Probably, yeah. You shouldn't, or you should watch something else. I don't yeah, know. you shouldn't. You should watch. There are else. ways to mitigate things, and I've said this for a long time about certain hits I want to get out that don't really serve a purpose, um, yeah. other than to injure. Blah blah blah. But there are also some hits that will always be legal, and a lot of them will be very violent, and it's just kind of the way it is. Yep. And plus, you've given all of these people, large sticks. And it is not surrounded by, like, padding. It's surrounded by literally hard boards. Right. The hits and violence, you know, should be a a product of the game. They should be a, a sort of effect of playing it. They shouldn't be, like, the main thing. Right. And so, right, I'm like, again, all in favor of getting out, you know, Bobby Clark's two-handers, you know. <laughs> Slash on the ankle, well, stuff like that, right? But that Hits, stuff is again not... directly from behind on the numbers into the boards, knee on knee, slew yeah. foots, all that stuff, all yeah. that stuff that is only there to injure and to be mind games and blah blah yeah. blah. That that is easy enough to get out. But if a guy's got the puck and you just crunch him, yeah, keep your head up. Yeah, no, I that's that's fair. All right, we should get into the games or at least the first one in this segment. Uh, Michigan plays at Minnesota. We hyped this up last week. Uh, Minnesota ends up winning in overtime, 4-3. to three. Bit of a disappointing outcome, although I can't say that I don't think that this game wasn't a deserved win for Minnesota um, as we go through kind of what happened. Uh, the first period, Michigan got off to sort of a, a slow start. Um, Minnesota's forecheck kind of pinned them in a little bit, and then they got a power play after a Duke trip. Um, they looked okay, um, killing that one. I think there was no, like, really great chance, but, um, you know, Minnesota didn't really take advantage of it and, and get into really good situations. And then Michigan gets, bounces back a little bit. They had a little bit of a shot deficit. They started to get it back up. Um, Ciccolini got a two-on-one opportunity, shot it wide. Duke got in tight and close made a save. And Samo got a nice one-timer. So Michigan was started to build it back a little bit. Um, but uh, I think it took a little bit of an adjustment for them getting onto like the Olympic ice. And we saw that with sort of the way that they deployed their lineup. Cause one of the main changes was they split up all three of their speed guys and put them on different pairs. Right. So you had Hughes on one pair, Edwards on another and Casey on a third. And I mean, I thought that was a pretty good idea. I think that it took some getting used to playing with their new partners and, um, you know, adjusting to the wider space. But I think that you did not want to get stuck with say like a, you know, Pearson Truscott or a Pearson, Fantilli or, you know, one of those pairings out there. You needed a guy that could cover some ice. Yeah, I mean, I think that when you play on Olympic ice, it's always going to take a little bit of time to get used to. But for the defenseman especially, the big thing that I would look for on Olympic ice is closing speed because, and just general foot speed, not not as much top speed because the big thing is that you have this extra space on the sides. Yeah. And thus, if rebounds kick way out, 
you know, that's going to advantage the forwards to some degree because they're going to be sort of further out from the net and thus easier to retrieve those in the corners. And you'd want the defenseman to have that closing speed to quickly get to the corner and, and win those battles, right? It's why it's easier to cycle a bit around the edges and play on the perimeter and why we always talk about European players who come over from Sweden or wherever being quote-unquote perimeter players. That's like the whole thing about it is that it's a lot easier to play on the perimeter on Olympic ice. And so for a defenseman, you'd want to see them have that ability to go side to side and get into those corners before forwards do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Portillo shows up then right after that, where he makes a couple of pretty good saves closer towards the end of the of the period. Um, one of them was like on a changeup, where it looked like he it was a one timer, and he didn't get all of it, and he looked like he's out of position, but he reached back, made a nice save, and then had a really nice kick save or off his toe anyway um, from in tight. Um, and then Minnesota gets a three on one, and Michigan. Shut that down with Portillo again, making the big save uh, on a pretty dangerous chance. Um, which brings us to the end of the basically the end of the first period, or close to it. And this is where we enter our first major situation, where Astapa it gets five in a game for kind of coming up underneath uh, one of the Minnesota players and in the offensive zone and hitting him with his. Sh- it looked like sort of his shoulder elbow uh, under the chin a little bit. And, um, you know, it seemed kind of harmless at first glance, but then on replay, like if these are the rules, we debated if they should be the rules or, you know, their validity or stupidity or however you want to phrase that. But if these are the rules, which they are, then, I mean, that, that was a penalty, right? I mean, that was a hit to the head. Yeah. And I mean, I, he I should have been tossed. When I watched it, he looked pretty clear what it was going to be. So the one thing that I... I want to ask you and maybe you don't even know because maybe no one knows and this is just where we're at but i mean you remember like the hit that Ciccolini took in the first uh series against minnesota by cooley and that was not a game misconduct it was a five-minute major it was not a game misconduct in this estapa hit was a game misconduct so do you know where the line is about that no i don't know i don't know that off the top of my head but even i mean is there even debate about it? seems like if it's a five-minute major now, they're almost all game misconducts. Typically. I just kind of wonder what has to happen or not happen for it to not be. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's very strange. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, don't, I don't... I'm not arguing with that because I think that that's very true. But um, So anyway, Mustafa does get kicked out of the game, and Minnesota now is on a five-on-four power play for five minutes near the end of the first period. Um, and Michigan was like, okay, hanging in there. But at that point, you're like, man, now they're down a forward. And, you know, this could be potentially plural goals, especially with that top power play line. They get one really quick. Nice has a nice drive to the net. The puck is actually poked off a stick, I believe, by Luke Hughes. But it gets over to Snuggerud, who... Has a kind of a nice shot, um, short side. Portillo was sort of frozen because Nyes had basically drawn into the crease and or slot area, and um, then Snuggerud had his space and he hit it. And it was a good shot, a little unfortunate for Michigan, but you know when you run a power play well and you get into dangerous areas and the puck bounces, it, it and then you collapse and the the um, attackers sort of collapse and close that space. I mean you're going to have good chances, and they got one and finished it. Yeah, I mean it. That was a fine play to end, though. It was kind of unfortunate that it happened, what, 10 seconds in? 
because then it just kind of felt like, oh boy. This could be two or three goals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I think the goal in that situation was always to just hold it to, to one. Yep. Um, so that ends the first period. It's 1-0. You're kind of feeling a little like, eh, even-ish play, but I probably would have tilted it a little bit towards Minnesota, especially with that power play at the end. And they had the power play early I, on. I, I will say that there, I don't remember if it was in that game, but there was one game I was watching this weekend, and they were talking about how getting power plays at the end of a period is good because then you can potentially use your top unit for the whole two minutes. Yeah. Um, I've heard that several times. I, I don't know if I agree with that. So I get the argument there. My flip side would be that, like, I always actually, as the penalty killing team, prefer to have a, a penalty at the end of a period because I always feel like about uh, 20 seconds are automatically killed off because you have the opening face off. If you can win it, then you can clear it. If Even yep. if they don't, like, it takes them time to get, get set up, the do the entry, and then, like, it just kills a bit of that time automatically for you. So that's always been my take on it. Plus, if you want to play your top unit for two minutes, just play him for two minutes. Yeah. It happens. I mean, McDavid plays, like, two minutes most wow. power plays. Oh, Caps do that with Ovechkin. Like, there, nothing says you have to take the top unit off after 55 seconds and then let the other one get a shot. Like, if you have a team with stars, already a top unit plays 90 seconds and the second might play 30 seconds if sure. you have star players. So I, I, I actually think... That, that I'd rather have the two minutes just in the middle of a period. Well, I think that there's not really a right answer. You just, like, frame it however you want, right? Oh, yeah. well, now we get fresh ice. Or yeah. now, you know, we can be fresh for both minutes or whatever. Like, so, or from the defenses there, you can be like, oh, we only have to kill 40 seconds, and then we can go talk about it and rest up and make an adjustment, and then we'll kill another, you know, minute or whatever. And yeah. So I I don't know that I've ever come to... A definitive answer on that it's more just like what am i feeling emotionally in this particular time I'm like yeah. oh i'll go with this so but so minnesota is going to basically have quite some time in the second period um and they do hit the post but then they tried to enter the zone going right down the middle of the ice where they get stick checked pretty easily and like it's cleared what three four times in a row Yep, Michigan had the entry defense pretty good right there. Uh, well, yeah, I, I'm not going to try to take something away from Michigan there, but like at some point, don't you do anything else? If you're Minnesota, it's a guy just kind of skating in to the zone in the middle where all the sticks are, and it gets whacked away and cleared, and then you try it again, and that that basically killed the major. Yeah, I mean it. <laughs> There's not it, much to say. It, I mean, if you have one way you do entries on power plays, then well, you just I mean, kind of do it. But you can do different things about going in different sides or going in along the boards or spreading guys out, you know, that kinds of things. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't seem like that hard. But, you know, apparently it was on that particular power play for Minnesota as they did not be able, well, they were not able to take advantage. And in the end, you know, I kind of came out of that penalty kill thinking, well, they only gave up one goal and it could have been a lot worse. So you're still not feeling great because you're on the road at Minnesota. They more or less won the first period. And now you're into the second, and Michigan hasn't shown a lot of... They, they've had a couple of chances, but nothing that was, like, super grade A. And, you know, you're going to have to probably score some goals to win this one. Um, yeah, so, you know, Michigan's or Minnesota has about a 10-shot lead uh, about halfway through. Um, and that's when Michigan gets their first power play. A um, couple of good chances, I think. Uh, missed a few passes and just not really on the same page. Like one pretty good shot from Fantilli. Um, Trust Scott had a shot and, and Chicklin had a redirect, but 
it wasn't like the most powerful thing. And then, um, then comes like the good section of the game for Michigan as you get like under into the second half of the second period. Michigan opens their scoring on a really nice rebound um, by by Ciccolini. So Moyle redirects a shot on net and it hits close. The rebound kind of comes out and Ciccolini has an open net and he's able to hit it. And this is what uh, multiple people were calling the revenge goal because, of course, he was injured in the previous Minnesota series and now he's even the score, so to speak, in more ways than one. Um. Kind of a big rebound from close on that one. I mean, he, he it was kicked, a redirect, though, right? I mean, right. I mean, he kicks it. He kicks it way out, and then uh, it's just kind of sitting there. I mean, Michigan had their cycle working really well in this stretch of the period. They of the game, they also had it working well in the first period for towards uh, the five end. or six minutes yeah. there. But uh, you know, this is the kind of goal you want to see uh, Michigan get. They, I mean, Minnesota also kind of gets caught with only one defenseman low versus two Michigan forwards, so. Uh, it was a bit of a of a mistake there from from the Gophers, but it was that was a big goal, and it, it got Michigan kind of back on even footing and a feeling like this game was still within reach for a short period of time before a defensive zone faceoff for Michigan is won by Minnesota, and Matthew Nyes uh, basically just beats Keaton Pearson around the edge, gets in on Portello, not really from a sharp angle, but from you know it wasn't down the slot and um, puts a nice little move and scores short side. Um, You know, there was some grumbling in the room about bad goal, giving it up on the short side, and I'm not really going to argue that fully, but, you know, you have, I mean, Matthew Nyes could easily be in the NHL. He decided to come back to Minnesota, made a really nice move, beat a defenseman, and got in tight on a goalie, and yeah, it'd be nice if he took that shot away, but, I mean, goal score is score. So I think that... Portillo might have thought because when you cut when Nice comes down the wing, he makes one little deke to to make it sort of seem like he's going to pass to the guy coming down the center, and then uh, decides to drop back to the forehand, you know, properly, and then put it through the little ex- the exposed spot. And so I, I wonder if Portillo saw the little deke slid over just the tiniest bit opened up that spot above his shoulder where he wasn't quite tight to the post. And then that's where Nyes was able to fit it over. So would you want him to, I to think, react to that? Or would you I want him to just stay I there? I still want him to stay there because okay. at the end of the day, Hughes uh, has positioning on the guy coming down the, the slot and you just have to trust your defense from there. Yeah. That makes some sense. And that wasn't perfect from Portillo. I mean, you'd probably not want him to give that up. I still think that Nyes made a pretty nice play on it as well. Um, and it's kind of a little deflating because Michigan had taken so long to tie the game, hadn't looked great offensively, finally get their goal, and then they give it right back. But, I mean, while you're still kind of taking that note, Fantilli scores off of, like, a really nice Brindley cross pass. So this was the other thing, the other adjustment that Michigan made. We talked about the defense. From the forwards, they dropped Mackey Samuskevich off the top line where he's been the whole year, as long as they've had a remotely healthy team, down to the second line with McGrory and TJ Hughes. And then they move Brindley, who has been kind of hyped, but hasn't, and has played well at, at times, but hasn't really been able to score. Does have the speed to skate with Fantilli. So they move him up to the top line. And he really popped in this series. Uh, he looked good, I think, against Ohio State in the second game last weekend. But he really played well this series. Comes around the net and just has a 
changes the angle just enough to get the puck across through the slot to Fantilli on the other side, who hits the open net to tie the game. And, I mean, that's just kind of like one of the things you're seeing from Brindley as a creator there, where you were just talking in prep about um, the draft rankings coming out. And this is like his speed was more on display, I think, in the second game. But um, I think that, you know, Narado wanted to kind of get him going and playing him with Fantilli, <laughs> as you saw this weekend, um, is a really good way to do that. Yeah, um, the this was kind of Brindley's play of the year. Um, because he comes in on uh, Ryan Johnson and, and takes the puck away on the forecheck there. And, uh, I mean, that's like a, just a big play for him because he's a, a very undersized player. And uh, to be coming in and, and stripping a bigger defenseman on the forecheck, that alone is, is a play that scouts are wanting to see. But then, you know, curling around the net, drawing all the defensemen in, and then making the pass across. I mean, that that's really a a play that uh, really stands out for him and is something you're going to want to see him do more regularly uh, as he progresses through his Michigan career, particularly into into next season. And then right away again, you get the inverse of this play where Fantilli does the thing where he takes the puck away below the goal line, kind of behind the net, forcing a defensive zone turnover. He had He did that a number of times on the weekend. And fed the pass out front. It kind of goes off of of a a Minnesota player. I can't remember if it was a skate or a stick, but it it redirects slightly. Brindley's still able to corral it and fire one past close to give Michigan a three two lead. So they look okay for a, a little stretch in the first period. Not really anything else in the first half of the game. And then between about the eight and you know three two three minute mark in the second period, they pour in three goals, and you're like, well. What happened? <laughs> like you just have this like complete barrage, and all of a sudden you're getting to the end of the second period, and you're like, "Oh, we're winning this game." Yeah, I mean, it was pretty random. Kind of came out of nowhere how quickly they were <laughs> putting goals in. Um, I mean, top lines have a tendency to do that. Well, it's again another great offensive zone forecheck play from Fantilli and that line, just giving the Minnesota defenseman a lot of problems along the along the wall and puts it in front. I mean, those two, they had a, a really a standout period. And I think they gave Brandon Narado a lot of things to think about moving forward in terms of, of keeping them together as a unit and seeing what looks you can kind of get off of that. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that in the second segment, because I think that that's a really big point. But um, other events took place where that may be in question, too. So um the only kind of negative here is that, you know, Michigan gets their second power play at the end of this period, and it's not putting the game away, but you've had this, like, rush where you've just rested, you, you tie the game, it get, then Minnesota take, goes back on top, and then you score two more, so you've kind of rested control of this game, and now you get a power play, and you have, man, one here, and you feel like, look, it's not over, but, like, Michigan's been decent playing different kinds of third periods. Portillo's having a pretty good night, aside from sort of that one little nice play by Nyes where he just left his post. And you're like, yeah, you can get one here. They, they can get out of here with a win. And they just couldn't, like, capitalize on that opportunity. And the same thing would sort of present itself on Saturday, and they wouldn't be able to do it again. But you're just, you know, the opportunity's there because they hadn't really gotten those power plays. And you have the thing about, you know, Oh, you got to keep them even and stuff. That does not appear to be the thing in college hockey because Michigan had, I think, four power play minutes to 
Minnesota's 13 or something like that in this in this game, but um, they just can't get that big power play goal to extend their lead, and so you go into and then out of and begin the third period, and you're you know still only up one, and you kind of can feel the onslaught is going to start building up for Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of back in the same place with Michigan where they were sort of last week against Ohio State where they've been other times this season holding leads and trying to close games out. And it's been a bit of a battle sort of this whole year. <laughs> um, yeah. Finding ways to, to get to the finish line. And I think too often uh, they have been in situations where they end up just kind of getting shelled and uh, sitting back and letting it happen. And this was sort of story in the third period, and you would have wanted that insurance goal, but instead it's a one-goal lead, and they let Minnesota really ramp it up. Well, they don't get a shot, I think, for the first... Yeah. They get three shots in the first 15 minutes or something yep. like that. Like, just, they don't really have anything offensively to show. You're just, you know, anything that gets the blue line, the red line, you're like, great, that's well, almost and, a win. And I think that you don't need to necessarily have a ton of shots in that sort of situation, uh, as long as you're playing really workmanlike and tight defense, yep. right? As long as you, if you're clogging up the neutral zone, if you're disrupting entries, if you're forcing dump-ins and recovering them pretty quickly. And in that case, it can be really just routine. And, yes. And, and you don't need really need shots or extended offensive zone time if it's just really clinical. But uh, it's a little bit harder to do that on Olympic ice, number one. Number yeah. two... Um, I you know I don't think that team this team sort of knows how to do that or has not that, yet has that in their in their repertoire. No, and you know what you were just describing is kind of a little bit what they did against Ohio State last week on Saturday, where they didn't get any shots, but Ohio State didn't have a ton either, and they didn't have yeah, great seemed, looks. It seemed like they were. Yeah. Um. But then, like like I said, the onslaught was coming, and boy, did it! <laughs> a couple of odd man rushes for. For Minnesota, two-on-one, and Portillo has a nice save. Uh, Casey jumped up in a play, probably shouldn't have, and then they, Michigan kind of gets lucky because the pass it gets to Cooley on the cross, and he's low, and Portillo has come out to take the shot, and the pass gets through to um, Cooley, but it goes through his legs, so they don't get that opportunity. It looked like that probably goes in the net. Minnesota also has a power play uh, after a Karen and silly slashing call. I thought he, he just... Those are things you just kind of can't do, especially when you're trying to kill off a, a penalty here. It wasn't in a bad situation where the guy's streaking down the slot, and you're like, this is probably, you know, 0.5 XG or something. This is, you need to, and yeah, I need to save this. This is just a hap, something that happens in the zone. Um, and and Nyes actually scores on it, but it looks like Portillo freezes it. He doesn't, but the whistle blows, and so the goal gets waved off. Um you know, unlucky there for Minnesota, but, you know, they would get theirs back <laughs> later in overtime. Then um, Portillo, you know, I thought he didn't have a bad game, but he still had some issues sort of fighting the puck, dropping it a little bit. I didn't think a lot of the goals were terribly on him, um, but I thought Minnesota made some nice plays, but he still has trouble just, like, I mean, he, tracking and catching it. He, uh... He plays with, like, uh, two tennis rackets in his hands. The, I mean, the puck just always bounces off of him, and it always bounces even off of his glove. Yeah. And The glove thing is the weird thing to me. Yeah, I don't really know what to say about that. Yeah. I'm not a goalie coach, so I don't really know the exactly what the technique issue is there. But. 
the frustrating thing is is that you know Minnesota hits the post several times, and so you're yeah. like, okay, this is our night. Like we can we have the lead in the third period. We're getting the, to the end. All their shots, are, you know, they have a goal called back. You have the, all the post shots and everything. Michigan takes another penalty, a boarding call on Edwards, and you know, Karen comes up with a big block. Portillo makes a few saves, and they're get starting to get penned in. But you're just getting there post again, you know, <laughs> and then. Finally, you know, they get the entry on, on the tying goal didn't seem overly dangerous. The guy's coming down the wall and Michigan kind of sends two guys to trap him. And it, it's not a bad play because I think that you have the guys in position. And if you make the play, you know, it's just a, it's a pretty simple dump and exit and, and you're out again and, and probably with a change. But they get the guy over there. It cannot corral the puck and it get the puck leaks out, is crossed. Jackson Lacombe with a one-timer and it beats Portillo. Uh, to the far post, kind of. So Portillo comes across. He's actually there in time, but just doesn't drop the glove just enough. It's a good shot because it's over the pad and below the glove, which is where you want to go. But, you know, he's he's also he's also there. He just kind of doesn't make the save. So I think that the issue on this one is, is Brindley and Fantilli because they are really deep on this goal. Um, in the in the defensive zone, you already have two guys sort of on puck pressure against two Minnesota players, and then Fantilli and, and Brindley are both standing like pretty close to where the puck is, and so you can take the picture of what that looks like, and it's basically uh, in the corner, two Minnesota, two Michigan on the boards, then two other Michigan right sort of watching you know, a few feet behind them. And then outside of that cluster, three Minnesota players and one Michigan player. Yeah. And so it's basically the situation that if the puck gets out of there, then you have a bit of a spacing problem. And so Minnesota gets it out and they have enough room to really tee Lacombe up here. And I mean, this, I mean, this thing is a missile. Yeah. This is an awesome shot. And, you know, Portillo is kind of across and, you know, maybe uh, he could have done a, better on it because it's you know there and blah 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 but i mean it is a jackhammer it's, it's a good shot yep. yeah i i don't i don't necessarily fault him for that it's just when you look at the replay and you're like you know because when you play goalie you kind of have to just reach your hand out or your leg or whatever right like when you're going across you're just sort of hoping you get something because you don't really always know you're not you usually your eyes are not in front of you they're kind of trailing and you're kind of trusting as you go across and you have your hand and you have your pad where they are and you hope that the puck kind of hits them before you can find it and everything, but you know, didn't happen. So three, three, it's frustrating, but it's also like, well, this was sort of coming because Michigan didn't really have much of a offense at all. They didn't really get the puck out and control play. And they were just sort of hanging on, hanging on. And then they were not anymore. And at that point, like, you're kind of like, well, this is not good. But the end of that period actually was more plus Michigan in the sense that they had a couple chances to win it. Um, Samuskevich had a good look, but it went wide. So you go to overtime and then, you know, Michigan has a couple of chances, three on three. They have a Brindley backhander and a Samo shot off a deflection. Um, and this is when Jackson Hallam pokes the puck in the net, but the ref sort of lost sight of this one too. And that one gets waved off. Uh, kind of felt, you know, you're frustrated, but you kind of felt, well, it's one and one now. So Yeah, I mean, they had a quick whistle a lot of the night. Yep. So. And then Nyes ends up scoring on the power play on a rebound after his second friendly bounce that hits Luke Hughes and the, on the skate, and it just goes right to him. 
you know, four on three, you always say is probably the most dangerous power play that you can possibly have because you don't have too many guys out there, but you can kind of get in really, really close and it's just tough to defend. We've seen Michigan give up a number of those in overtime in the last couple of years. And this one kind of went the same way. I don't think anyone did anything wrong. You just kind of got unlucky and you can't take that penalty. Yeah. And it was a legit penalty. It was Edwards, right? It yeah. was a hook. He was kind of beaten, got the hands in there. I thought it was a fine call. Um, Michigan killed off a lot of it. They got pretty close. They only had about 10 more seconds to get to the shootout, but uh, it is what it is, and that was a game that uh, Michigan was not the better team in. No. And you give up 48 shots in about 65 minutes. Yeah. Um, you know. It's, it, you can look at it two ways, right? Is like, well, we weren't the better team. We still got a point. That's not a fair – or that's a completely fair way to look at it. You can also look at it like we had five minutes – it's, away from winning the game, and you couldn't kill it off. It's and, kind of like if you are, uh, you know, plus two or three in a turnover battle, and then you lead a lot of the game, but then the team ends up still winning in the end because they had 520 yards and you had 260. And they're probably and, the better team. They yeah. just didn't turn it over that time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, That's like, ah, well, we had a shot to upset because they left the door open, but also, you know, the rest of the box score tells a picture, so... Yep, that's that's basically what it was. All right, we'll take a break, and we will tell you about another game that was similar but also different. I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case, call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248 and 924, 9 and 458. Or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com. Went out one night to make a little round. I met little Sadie and I shot her down. Went back home, jumped into bed. 44 pistol under my head. I woke up in the morning about half past nine. And the buggy standing in line Jensen Gambler standing around Taking little city to bury in the ground I began to think of what a deed I'd done I grabbed my hat and away I'd run Made a good run just a little too slow They overtook me in Jericho to Saturday night, I was not very optimistic. I thought that Michigan got, um, I thought that Minnesota was just the best team in the country. And, you know, we didn't get to see them in sort of a fair fight against Michigan in the first series because of the, you know, the virus that Michigan was dealing with and just had almost no players. And I thought Michigan didn't play poorly in, on Friday, but Minnesota just ended up playing better. And, you know, obviously it's tough to always keep that up against good competition. Michigan's certainly not a bad team. In fact, they're a pretty good team. Minnesota just is loaded. And, you know, it's tough to win those games. So I thought Michigan got a lot of breaks in terms of, you know, pucks hitting the posts and, like, getting clusters of goals and, you know, kind of doing enough to give them a, a pretty good game. I mean, not a lot of teams give them good games. And... um 
So going into Saturday, you're like, man, if we get, you know, anything that just doesn't go in our way in that sense, like it's, it's just going to be tough, but, um, they don't really make many changes. Granowitz comes in for LaPointe, just kind of a fourth line swap there. Uh, they keep Mackey on the second line, moving Brindley up and then, you know, split the three speedy defensemen again. And, uh, that pays off early as Michigan gets a four on three. That's basically a three on three, but when you have those really fast defensemen, you can take, you know, a simple rush and turn into an odd man rush. And Edwards is basically the fourth guy in, gets to a loose puck in the slot and buries it before, you know, we're really settled in and, and the game is really started. It's one nothing on a really nice hustle play and good for Ethan Edwards because, you know, he's had a pretty nice year. He's been a little up and down on the defensive end, um, but you're you're really liking his progression. I am anyway, liking his progression um, just as as a player overall. I think he's you'll still make some mistakes on defense or gets beat, but you can definitely see his added value on offense. This was a, a perfect time, and and he took advantage of it. It's kind of more of a three on two uh, to start. Yeah, I mean. Simoskevich decides to cut out wide and then leave it back, and then Hallam is there, and you get the back check from Nyes, and he kind of gets his stick in there. Part of me at the time wanted Hallam to just shoot it. Um, I, you know, he wasn't super cognizant, I guess, of, of the back check coming, and so he kind of gets stripped in it the first second, and you're like, eh, kind of wasted that. Yeah. And then. Uh, it was very much like the goal for Minnesota in overtime the previous night where just a big, really lucky bounce because uh, a nice defensive play kicks right to Edwards in the exact same spot that Allen basically just was. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, what I like about uh, Edwards on this play is he just, you know, snaps it right over the, you know, the, the shoulder and doesn't carry it at all, doesn't try to deke, doesn't try to do anything, just sees an opportunity. And then, you know, a snapshot on a, on a bouncing puck is is uh, kind of a underrated, uh, dangerous shot. So it's one nothing, pretty good chance. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a great start for Michigan because Duke gets in after a bad turnover from Minnesota. And instead of shooting, he tries to hit Brindley and you're just like, ah, oh, you're Dylan Duke and you're within five feet. This is like your place. And you just, you know, just shoot the puck. But, um, and, and then Michigan gets their first power play off of, uh, um, Mackie Samuskevich makes a nice play getting into the zone, beats this guy and gets taken down. You don't really get a good power play. Not a whole lot of chances, a couple of quick shots, but they weren't really great ones. Close was always kind of going to have them. And, you know, kind of another missed opportunity to add to the lead. But right after that, you see, this is what I was referring to in the first segment. You see the the speed of Gavin Brindley coming into the offensive zone, just goes, blows right around his guy, gets to the net. Doesn't really have a great move, but um, his his shot is, is relatively easily saved by close. But it comes back out, and Fantilli's following him uh, for the rebound, and he fires into the short side there sort of like the first power play goal for Minnesota on the previous night, where you have the first guy drawing the attention of the goalie. He kind of is now in position to stop that. And the other guy, the next guy gets the puck and is able to change the angle and fill the open net. And, you know, we see Fantilli again after his nice night on Friday, jumping into the score sheet early off of a nice play from Brindley on Saturday. And you're like, man, this top line is going and it's two nothing. And you're kind of, you know, my, um, 
my hopes are being raised, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is uh, another just great speed play from from Brindley and and cutting around the defenseman gets him moving laterally, and, and that's where the superior skating comes into play. And Fantilli just does what you do there, follows it up, and uh, gets the rebound. And so now all of a sudden Michigan's got a lead, but you're kind of back where we were a lot of times this season, where Michigan's had two goal leads and blown a lot of them. And well, also, it's a two-goal lead with 52 minutes to play. So right. it's it's kind of a dangerous situation. It didn't feel like... I mean, it felt like a two-goal lead, but didn't feel like a two-goal lead. Like, you get a two-goal lead halfway through a game, especially like 2 nothing or something like that, where you're the only team scoring, and you're starting to be a little bit confident. Like, mm, this is probably going to be our night. We get one more, and it's done. And, you know, we've already controlled a, number of the ga- a large chunk of the game. That was not the case. You just get a couple of, you know, it's like getting a, a kick return for a touchdown and then a quick pick six or something like that. And you're like, great. Well, we haven't really done anything except get a couple of nice plays early on. We need to actually sustain some possession and control the puck. Um, and then really the only bad play of the period for Michigan follows that up where there's sort of a loose puck in the corner. It gets between the corner and behind the net. Nolan Moyle is down there and just, you know, that's his thing is, you know, being physical and tough. And he kind of loses that battle. And the puck is taken and fed out to Brodzinski, who's basically walking right down the slot. And it's just an easy goal because... Um, you know, turn, you can't turn the puck over behind your own net, can't lose those battles. It especially gets thrown out in front, and Brodzinski, Brodzinski's waiting. And, um, you know, 2-1 to one, right away. Moyle loses a board battle, but really it's on Eric Ciccolini there. He's got his face to the play, sees what's going on. The pass goes through his legs and to Brodzinski. Just got to take that pass away. Yeah, not great from either forward, but yeah. Is it, it seems like a pretty simple play, or did it just get no, easy I mean, puck? Is he puck watching? Uh, not really. I mean, it's just, I think he's a little late to realize the pass is coming. And at the end of the day, it goes through you. Then you got to take it away. So Minnesota is going to get their first power play right after this on um, a call you don't see very often, where Matthew Nyes is kind of skating through the crease and low slot, and Portillo decides to take a stick and uh, jab him a little bit in the gut and kind of poke at his big M logo and or I don't know if they may have had go a gopher logo on but um I I I guess you know no, it was a it was gophers in, yeah uh, gophers the, written the diagonal yeah like okay um but you don't really see these penalties a lot so like after the play you know they're, they're blowing the whistle and like okay penalty on number one and you're like I think that's Eric Bartillo. What you usually you see that where a guy it's it's pretty obvious or whatever, um, but then they show the replay and he did. He just kind of poked him. Is that maybe for scoring two goals the previous night, saying, "Hey, you're not going to beat me tonight"? Maybe. I mean, he also on the next goal, uh, you know, does the old poke check trip on the guy coming through the crease. So he was pretty active with the stick, <laughs> as Portillo tends to be. Um, but I thought again, Michigan did a pretty good job killing this power play um didn't really give up anything dangerous always seemed to be in good spots you know a couple shots came but from distance Portillo saw them easily um penalty kills been an adventure at times they've had stretches where it's been really good they've had like that game against Ohio State last week where they gave up four power play goals which is very bad but um a pretty good start on this one um they get their they get a couple of 
odd man rushes, a three-on-two that they can't connect on the pass, and Draper walks in, <laughs> leading a three, a two-on-one and fires wide. Um, and, you know, it. this period feels a lot different. Rucker McGordy has a really good chance forcing a glove save, and then they get a flurry right at the end of the penalty, at the power, hmm, at the period, uh, getting two or three really good chances. And, you know... A really good response from Michigan after kind of a deflating loss to bounce back and give themselves a good chance. You know, they have kind of that one goof up that they gave up a goal, but the rest of the period was really, really solid and maybe a little unlucky not to get three or four. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a great response way to, to start a game off uh, after sort of what they'd, they'd been through the, the previous night. And it, you know, definitely get. Uh, made it seem like this is going to be a, another competitive game. So as soon as the second period starts, uh, all hell breaks loose because um, there are just goals and penalties and chances, and it's almost impossible to keep up with everything that was going on. Uh, this is sort of what you want as a neutral observer or even to some extent a fan of either of these teams because when you get these te- these highly skilled, great, great skating, passing teams on big ice you're going to get a lot of chances and you're going to get goals you're going to get a lot of excitement this is you know peak the peak of hockey like you said last year that you know the nhl and their fans needed an avalanche panthers finals because this is what you want people to fall in love with this is the fun part of hockey and that's kind of what michigan minnesota is it's just these two wide open teams that just want to skate and shoot and score and boy did that happen starting in that second period. Now, you know, part of it was a power play for Minnesota where Ciccolini gets a high stick that I don't think they ever showed the replay of because I don't even, I can't even recall seeing it. Um, but this was, a, you know, maybe the only, uh, the, the second kind of goofy play that Michigan made of the game where Huglin is able to walk basically from the corner to right out in front and score from, you know, the top of the crease even. Um you know, Michigan kind of gets all their guys sucked into that side, except for maybe one. Fantilli's sitting in the slot. Huglin walks out and just stuffs it by Portillo from super in tight. And Fantilli never really crashes down to hit him. And and you said, you, you texted me during this time. And you're like, look, it's great to have be positionally sound and to take away, you know, a guy or a dangerous spot. But, you know, at some point you have to stop the puck too. Yeah, I mean, the you have... You know, the guy cut to the net, and I, I get that Fantilli is there watching for the pass, uh, but eventually when the guy comes in, I want to see him put a little more pressure right on. Um, although, you know, again, there is a guy cutting sort of back door, but uh, I think in that situation, I'd tell him to just challenge the guy, and if he makes an insane pass to the back door, then so be it. But, um, and it's also, I feel like Portillo probably can be a little bit better on, on the post there. I mean, that's just a... That's a tough one, but you do expect the defender to apply a little more front side, uh, front side pressure, and he and that's one of those where the guy gets tripped and then goes flying, uh, <laughs> a Bobby Orr recreation. So a two zero lead for Michigan is now erased, and it's like, uh, come on, you know, like that was such a good first period, two kind of goofy plays, and they they're right back in it and, and tying it up, and then Minnesota has a shot from the point that gets deflected uh, by a nice stick out in the slot and in off the inside of the post. Partillo had pretty much no chance, and it's 3-2 Minnesota. So two goals, bang, bang. They have three when Michigan probably has the most most of the good chances and most of the chances. 
uh, through the first, you know, 22, 25 minutes or so. And it's now it's three to two and you just, you know, what do we have to do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a great, def- uh, just a great, uh, deflection there. I love goals like that. Um, it definitely felt like, well, this is this is who they are. Yeah, they just blow these leads, and they well, you know, and they just kind of crumbles. Blah blah blah. A little bit, but at some point, it's also like, well, this other team seems to be pretty good too. Sure, but uh, I don't know. It's just something I've been frustrated about. So fair. Um, what I will say about this next thing is that the next goal happens <laughs> in the time that I was away from the TV for like thirty seconds. <laughs> What what was calling your attention? I was going from the basement to the main level. Switching TVs? I was going getting ready to have dinner. But okay. It was on a different TV upstairs. Okay. And by the time I came and sat down at the table, it was already <laughs> three three. They were done showing the replay and everything. <laughs> so and I was just like, what? <laughs> yeah. It was three two. I just left after the Minnesota. What? So, um, Seth and I went to a hockey game this years ago now, maybe like back in 2016, 17. And I, it was after radio and, um, on Friday night and I got there first and I think he had the other ticket. So he comes up and he's a little bit late cause he's, you know, dealing with the end of radio and everything and, and sits down next to me. He goes, Hey, and he's kind of like huffing. Cause he's like, I just got here. Okay. Yeah. And he looks up. He was like four minutes in the game. It's two to one. And he was like, what the hell? <laughs> we already had three goals. So, yeah, uh, that uh, that was a relevant story considering what you were dealing with and what we're all dealing with because, like, the period starts and there are more goals uh, in – well, there's just as many goals in the first, like, few minutes of the second period as it was in the entire first period. So it's 3-3 and, you're, you know, it's just that's the kind of night it's going to be, right? And um, so not – but not a bad period for Michigan. Um, they kill off – a Moyle gets a holding the stick penalty, which was – yeah, you know that was a fine call. I thought Moyle is playing defense up at the up at the blue line and just kind of loses track of the puck, and a guy comes in and he kind of grabs him, and you know it's probably a good call. Um, Brindley had a really nice block on that penalty kill. Portillo had a freeze, um, but then Edwards uh, after a slow change because it's second period, so you have your long change. Edwards is on a bit of a, a slow change, comes in. And takes a guy out in the slot, gets his stick around, and whaps the guy in the shins, and he goes down. And Craig, Craig was kind of uh, not so happy with this call. Didn't really thought it was just a check, but I kind of thought it was a trip. Did you have? Did you? Did you see the call? Did you think uh, decent, decent decision there? I'm trying to remember, but I don't remember being outraged about anything. So I thought it was probably thought it was fine. And you know, Michigan kills off the five on three and looks pretty good doing it. There were no like major posts there was no like insane portillo saves they just did a good job of holding their positions and um ended up getting uh a breakaway for luke hughes i think that was after the first penalty was killed off so it was a five on four and hughes comes in but just kind of goes a bit wide and doesn't really have an angle to score or even really get a good shot on puck ends up behind the net but um you know pretty good penalty kill again you know they had that goof goof up on the second one that gave up the tying goal second goal but you know other than that again not a bad night on the pk for michigan no i mean i in both games it allowed them to hang in there um they did take a lot of penalties that is something that we could talk about you know is that some ref poor calls is that michigan just being undisciplined probably both but 
Yeah, that's one thing you'd kind of like to see fewer of is chances to kill penalties for Michigan. Uh, halfway through, the shots are pretty even, 17-16, so you're like, okay, you know, they they, they played pretty well. Um, but considering the previous night, I thought Michigan was, was doing a good job getting through this. Um, they do get a power play, not really a whole lot. They all, I think they only had two power plays on the evening. Uh, oh, no, they had a couple later, I think. Yeah, yeah. But not the best power plays. Um, after the second one, though, you get a chance for TJ Hughes. He gets into the slot and drives wide, bringing close around. Um, his shot kind of deflects back into the, back to the slot after close is drawn way out of the crease. And Truscott steps down nicely and fills the net to make it 4-3, to three, giving Michigan back a one-goal lead. Um, but a really nice play from Truscott, not really one of the offensive defensemen that we kind of talk about in terms of creating offense, but he had a nice goal and a, and a couple of assists last Saturday, has a really nice goal here, good choice to jump up and to close that gap, and ends up being able to be rewarded with um, a pretty nice goal. No, I mean, that's just a really smart read, being able to recognize uh, what's kind of happening there. And then also gets lucky too. I mean, it's a, a pass that's supposed to be going across to, I think, Rutger in front, and then it just bounces straight off a body and uh, right to him. So um, the right idea and then the kind of luck of the draw puts him in a position to get a e- pretty easy goal. Uh, one three on two for each team as the period comes get starts to wind down. Um, neither really comes to anything. And then we have our second point of conversation regarding majors in this period where uh, Jacob Truscott is now along the boards behind his own net, kind of facing, uh, at least it turns his head so that it's parallel with the boards looking at the corner. And Jimmy Snuggerud comes shooting in and lights him up and then gets called for a five-minute major and a game misconduct and not only is that big in terms of okay now Michigan has a one goal lead and they can take five more minutes essentially off of the clock as at at the end of the uh, second period and into the third but also it takes you know maybe the best goal scorer for Minnesota off the ice for the rest of the game yeah I mean big break there Um, and I didn't again think there was anything to really be discussing there. Uh, no. I mean, it looked... Again, I mean, would you number, say... Numbers facing you, yeah. hit, blah, blah, blah. And, I mean, you could see contact through the head. Yep. So, that's the way that that goes in college. Um, the bummer is, is that going into the third period, kind of like Friday, where they had that two-minute power play at the end of the second and into the third and couldn't get a goal. Michigan now, at the bare minimum, is going to be able to take a bunch of time off the clock, theoretically. But, you know, here's a chance where you can get one, maybe two goals and put this thing away pretty early. Um, Not only do they not really do that, they don't even get the better chances. Well, and if we're thinking about the game that we just uh, witnessed on Friday night where Michigan didn't have the insurance and really did not handle an opportunity to close the game out terribly well whatsoever, uh, it really felt like another insurance goal was pretty paramount. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, not a great turnover by Brindley leads to a couple of forced Portillo saves. Um, they just don't really get many good entries. You know, it's weird on a five, on a five minute major because you can't, you don't really play 
one power play unit and then your other power play unit because like that you have to keep cycling through them. So you sort of almost have to play lines at some point because you can't just play eight guys for five minutes, right? I mean, yeah. You, you, so at one point, I think like Karenin and Draper on this power play, and I was a little bit like, wait a minute, who's 30, 33 is out there and 90? Like, what power play unit is I this? Mean, you can play the first unit for, say, a minute 20, then second unit a minute 20, and then, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, you do need that little little window there before you can probably bring the first unit back on it helps if like you score a goal in the first three minutes and then you can kind of do something but they didn't and they gave up chances and so now you have guys that aren't used to being in this situation on this situation and you know they end up giving up a two-on-one in addition to those uh couple chances earlier um and then you don't they didn't really get a good look they had a four on two early but it wasn't really a great chance um and you know, then Luke Hughes kind of takes a tripping call right at the end of it, so it doesn't really negate any of the of the power play. But now you're you know four or five minutes into the third period, they've you've looked bad. They take this call, and you're like, well, this is like on its way south fast. Yeah. And you know, again, but another nice kill. Like Portillo has to make a couple of good saves, but again, nothing super dangerous. And so you just keep creeping down and creeping down. Um, there was really good play actually by, I think it was a stop or a moil. I couldn't see which one it was, but the puck kind of got through Portillo to the other side and they were able to clear it away. Um, good heads up defense there. Now you're under, you're halfway through about nine minutes to go. And, um, then actually Michigan again gets close again, where you have Hallam to a stop in front, but close makes a nice save. And this is when we get to, like, one of the turning points, hopefully not of the season, but Samuskevich comes around the board and is kind of slammed into the board, kind of goes shoulder first, comes up holding his arm and his shoulder, and it looks uh, not great. I have not heard an official word yet, um, but it didn't look like he was just going to be back out. He did not come back the rest of the game. Um, Michigan used that to challenge, I think there was like six minutes left or so, in just in case, which, you know, this is another thing with these um, five minute majors and your challenges now, like instead of taking a timeout, you might as well challenge for a major. Yeah, if it's a, if it's NHL rules with the penalty is the repercussion, then you really do have to think about it. Uh, in college, where it's just the timeout, the penalty is worth so much more than the timeout. Yeah, like infinitely more, yeah. uh, especially because it's a major. Yeah. And so in that situation, it's kind of like, oh, why the hell not? No. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, this one was a tough one. I, I could kind of see the arguments on uh, on both sides of it um, in terms of why it would be a major, why it wouldn't. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to go crazy about the decision they made, but I probably wouldn't have if they did call it a five-minute. Hmm. Uh, you're much more optimistic about that than I was. When I saw it, I was like, I don't really think I see much, but um, I mean, it was more the injury than anything else, I thought. Was I mean, there, there the... was the head kind of getting pressed uh, against the board a little bit. So. Okay. Well, maybe Michigan got unlucky there, but, um, you know, 
within a couple minutes, maybe that was a bit of a makeup call then because Minnesota gets tagged for an interference for which Bob Motzko came down off the bench and was leaning over, um, giving the officials an earful. It seems now Michigan has every opportunity. They had that long major power play to be able to lengthen their lead. Now with like five minutes to go, they get a power play. Fantilli gets a one-timer. There's a bit of a scrum in front, but TJ Hughes puts it wide. They had some good chances. Maybe their best power play of the weekend, I think. Um, just in terms of holding the zone and creating dangerous looks, but they just couldn't finish. And so it's like one of those situations where if it's not in that context and that power play happens almost any other time, you're like happy with it because it's, oh, you know what? They had good chances. They just didn't get the puck to go in. That happens. In this situation, though, you're like, you've had six minutes in this period. Finish a power play for goodness sake. But they couldn't. And it would cost them. Yep. Uh, Because right after that, um, and it's a harmless play. And, you know, it's tough to, you know, you can always place blame when anything bad happens. You can usually give credit when anything good happens and, you know, vice versa, depending on how you're looking at it. But this is a play where Edwards is skating back and Cooley just beats him to the puck. And then Cooley turns him, gets around the net and throws the puck in front to the slot, which is never a really bad play. It's actually a very good play. And Brodzinski beats Duke to the slot. And, you know, the funny thing is, I think Duke was like the last guy in. He was like the fifth guy. But it looked like he was chasing Brodzinski for a couple of strides and that, you know. I put that on Moyle. On Moyle? Yeah. Okay. Moyle should have had Brodzinski? Well, it's, I mean, Duke's getting beat back, yes. But Moyle is the one circling around in front of the net and just watches as the pass goes straight into the most high danger area on the ice. Right? I mean, even if Duke's chasing him back, if you're in that no-man's land and you have the opportunity to either hedge to the side to then maybe put pressure up high on a point shot or protect the front of the net, <laughs> I mean, it, it, to me, it's not really <laughs> not really a discussion there. I don't know how he's being coached necessarily to play that, but to me, if a pa- I mean, a pass from behind the net straight into the slot for a tap-in should never be a thing that happens in the way I would sort of want to coach the defense and yeah. especially when you've got i mean all five michigan players are there around the net yeah. and they've got different guys they're watching but moyle isn't really watching anyone in particular it seems like he's hedging more to protect the wings uh when there's nobody in front of the net and so it's kind of like when you get back on defense in basketball the first thing you do is fill the lane and not take away the shooter that's yeah okay well no one does and brodzinski wins the race to the slot and has an easy goal because the puck just comes out. I mean, it just happens so fast. It's kind of similar to the first goal where you just have a great chance from the best spot, dangerous spot on the ice. And it's 4-4, and this happens with like two minutes to go. So you're just like, man, they've got like closer. But, you know, there's so many ways to look at this. And I wrote about kind of one and, you know, we kind of discussed other ones. And we'll probably get to like what our takeaways are in a, in a minute here. But... You know, you just fight all game long to get to this point. And, you know, whether you should or shouldn't have won that Friday game, they probably should have won this game. I mean, I thought they were the better team. Not significantly, but they played better and they just kind of got, you know, Minnesota, sort of like Michigan the previous night. They took advantage of the chances they got. They just didn't have a lot of them. Michigan had a lot of chances, a lot of opportunities, and just didn't put them away yeah this this was a tough one 
So it's 4-4. And then, again, they almost win it again. Like, like Rutger and TJ get chances right at the end of the game. Shots go high. Shots go wide. They just can't, you know, win it outright. And you just feel like you left at least one, maybe two points on the table there. Um, but, you know, they play well in overtime. And they don't, they don't hang their heads. They don't think, oh, look at what we blew. They come out hard. Luke has a decent chance. And on the next look, Truscott walks in again and wins the game on a nice shot that isn't completely dissimilar from the previous goal. Yeah, this, this is interesting because Hughes has the puck, and so you have uh, forwards go off. Brinley and Fantilli are going off, and Truscott is one of the two coming on. So for that moment in time, you've got 2D and one forward on the ice yeah. in three-on-three, three, which isn't necessarily super surprising. Um, well, especially given that Hughes is one of the... Well, sure, but... Uh, in that situation, I think they just wanted more stability and putting a defenseman uh, on the ice. But this is a situation where you've got a ton of puck watching going on by Minnesota. It's uh, 77 Pitlick. Which one is he? Is he is he Rhett? It's either Rhett or Rem. Well, one of them's on the Canadians, and one of them's still in Minnesota. They seem but like the same. Anyway. Is it is this a coin flip? <laughs> it's probably what everyone else thinks. There's no the, way we'll ever find out. It's so. probably what everyone else feels like the Hugheses. No, the Hugheses are famous enough okay. to, to know which The Pitlicks are. are not? When you have like, that last name, you're not famous? No, because they're not very good. <laughs> I mean, okay. It's like generic college players. Minnesota right? guys? I mean, the Hugheses are first-round picks. Okay. Um, but anyway, uh, he's the guy that's farthest outside when Hughes enters his own, and he just hot dogs it towards Hughes, and the defensemen are just standing there watching. I mean, there's just nobody picking up Triscott as he does a cross-zone pass. Triscott skates right in at the dot and beats close. I mean, that's one where, to me, as a coach, you'd be really chewing those guys out on the ice. I don't care if it's the end of your shift or whatever, but they just get, <laughs> they're just standing around while a guy gets to skate right in and, and shoot like that. I mean, come on. You'd be running stadium stairs in skates. <laughs> so now we can talk a little bit about our takeaways. You know, the first thing is Michigan gets three points on the weekend. And I think coming into the weekend, unless you're on the team, which is fair to say, most reasonable fans are going to be like, okay, I'll take a split in Minneapolis regardless. It sucks that you were about seven combined minutes from taking all six points. Um, that's not a, a very realistic way to look at it. But in the end, also, when you add up the two games and you add up the chances and you add up kind of what each team looked like on each night. I mean, getting three and three is probably a fair result. No, I think it's pretty reasonable. Um, and it works out that way in pairwise, too, because they're both in overtime. So uh, I don't have any problem with this. And when Michigan, as we saw, is fully healthy, they can play with anybody. We knew that. They've yeah. got things they need to work out, but the talent and the ability to make plays and all that kind of stuff, they can they can go into Minnesota and, and split a weekend and feel like they had a shot for more. And we'll talk about some other games first before we get to talking about Penn State, but it makes you feel like walking into coming home, being a little frustrated, leaving those points on the table, coming back, facing a Penn State team that you should have gotten, should have won a game and sort of blew at least a point against on the Saturday game back in October you think, you know what, if we're motivated and we play well and we're we're playing like the way that we have been aside from like the one first game back, a sweep is not off the table against this team. No. I mean, anybody in the Big Ten can beat anybody in the Big Ten except for Wisconsin this year. <laughs> so 
And when, and when I mean beat, I mean two games in a weekend. Yeah. Like, anybody can sweep anybody. It, it, it just it never happens, as we will get to sure. uh, in a minute here. So, first we'll look at all of our old friends, our non-conference opponents, from what they did. Um, guess who played again? I assume it's Lindenwood. It's Lindenwood, where they lost 3-2 to two to Long Island in overtime. Which and then was, they lost 6-4. to four. And then they lost 6-4. to four. So, poor Lindenwood, we were rooting for you. It didn't work this weekend. You we you were talking about, I believe, you know, because they won a couple of games early on, and you're like, man, if they can stack together a few wins, they play Long Island, they play, I think, somebody else in the coming weeks that is, like, remotely beatable. Uh, maybe, you know, you can end up with a few decent wins on the year, but they didn't. I guess they, they got they, to overtime. They, they had got, a chance. They have a couple of weeks off, then they got Stonehill. Yeah. So... That's an opportunity. Because that's the team that's only played one game. Yeah, Stonehill finally is... They're going to play games two and three? Uh, yes. <laughs> Actually, no, that will be four and five. Oh. They're playing Long Island first. They play five games this season. I wonder so. if anyone has season tickets to, like, all seven games all that they play. All five games. Yeah. Uh, BU, Michigan's, you know, the the jewel of their non-conference go, goes 5-1 over Maine. Pretty simple win. And then, uh, whoo, did you see the second game? 9-6. to six. That they beat Maine. Both goalies got pulled in this game. You don't see that almost ever. They were up 4-0, and eventually it ended up 5-5 before BU decided we're just going to score a ton more anyway. What is this? Well, it's actually uh, 6-5, right? Maine took well, the lead, and then... Oh, did Maine get the, actually get the lead? Uh, no, it was 5-5. Yeah, yeah, there you yeah, go. And they scored four in a row, and they got... Yeah, that's, that's just a, that's a very messy game. Also, very few penalties in that game. Really? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven total minor penalties between the two teams. Hmm. No major penalties. And that's but kind of... five power play goals. <laughs> so there was no penalty killing going on in this game. <laughs> <laughs> well, there wasn't a lot of anything defensively in any regard at all when you give up 15 goals in a game between the two teams. Uh, Lake State lost to Minnesota State in overtime. Uh, then they lost 3-1. to one. Uh, If there was one word in the world to sum up Lake State, it would be... That was actually a pretty good weekend for them. That's more than one word. Uh, I mean, they've been <laughs> they've been one of the worst teams in the country, and they go to overtime in Minnesota State. Are you just ignoring me? Yes. Okay. Uh, bad. <laughs> that is the word. Yeah, they're they're really really bad, but <laughs> they had a they had a good weekend. Well, they didn't win. No, but they had to overtime <laughs> against a team that's vaguely good. There's your though... quote. I guess if Patrick wants to put a quote on. <laughs> They had a good weekend. They didn't win. No, but they got to overtime. It's good. I like that. Uh, and then Western wins four to one twice against Colorado College. So in case you did, in case you really liked the Friday game, the Saturday game ended up the same way. Uh, well, one of the things I was mentioning earlier uh, on is that uh, Colorado College has had a, had a decent season. They, Old friend Chris Mayotte. Chris Mayotte. They lost uh, the games to WMU, but for a whole, they're 10-13-1. They're 6-7-1 in the NCHC. I mean, treading water in a tough conference, although it's not as tough this year. But that's like, you know, positive upward trajectory for the program. Yeah, well, I mean, Colorado College has been yeah, they were, they bad were hor- they were for, horrible for quite some time. Yeah. I mean, they used to be a powerhouse, I yeah, mean, they, years ago. They and then even Michigan in a national title game, right? Right, and then when Michigan was really good with, like, Porter and Kolark and those teams, I mean, you know, Colorado College was one of the teams that would get, they would host regionals or, you know, they would be the one seed or two seed or whatever. And now, like, 
getting anywhere near the tournament is beyond a victory, I would think. Yeah. You know, and it it's good for good for Mayotte. He's he did well here, and it's nice to see him have some success. Um, and then Harvard wins three two in overtime at Yale. I don't know how good Yale is. I don't think very good. And then they lose 3-2 to Brown, who was better than I thought. I was expecting when I looked in pairwise they would be in the bottom few. They were not there. I think they were 38th. So. No, they're they're not like Dartmouth level. Okay. Um, they, they're they 8-11-2 and two on the season. I mean, it's a bit of a bummer loss for them, but they, they were on the road, so. It's tough when you go to those colors. <laughs> All right, so now we'll look at the... Big Ten, where we'll come to no conclusions as Notre Dame beats Penn State 2-1. to one. Uh, 52 saves for Bischel. 51 saves and 52 shots, maybe. That sounds Something like, like that. Uh, Notre Dame. Uh, Corsi was... This season. <laughs> you see this? Corsi was 85-28, to 28, even strength Corsi. <laughs> That's absurd. 85-28. <to> <sighs> oh, man. <laughs> My goodness. And Notre Dame wins! <laughs> what? And then, so the next night, uh, they play Penn State, and Penn State beats them 3-2, to two, but Notre Dame has a 2-1 to lead in this game. I think they had a 1-0 lead, and then a 2-1 to lead. 2-2 two, two after 2, because I was sort of tracking this until the Michigan game started. And um, this course, he was 80-54. to 54. So Penn State basically does the same things, but gets goal lead one night. I mean, Penn State does that to everybody. It's, yeah. it's who they are. I mean, Notre Dame, really not good possession metrics. 44.9%. <laughs> Uh, on the season in all situations, uh, 44.4 at even strength. That even strength number is 52nd out of 62 teams. That's... 61 if you count the ones that have played more than one game. <laughs> uh, that's. I mean, here's the teams that have... But they've set... never been a possession team. No, but there's a difference between not being a possession team and 44%. Yeah. I mean, the teams that are comparable, Niagara, Canisius, Brown, Yale, Ferris, Dartmouth, Lake Superior, Mercyhurst. I don't think I heard one good team in there. <laughs> I mean, if we go back to the year they were, like, unbeatable with Kale Morris, yeah. they were, let's take a look that year. I mean, they were, like, in 47%. the 30s. What, what were they ranked, though? Do you know? Because right. I, I remember doing some of the previews. For, 40, they for were forty third that year. Yeah, I mean that's. But that, but the, it's not about the ranking; it's about what the actual number is. I understand. Forty seven and a half or forty seven is is very different than forty four and a half. Like they don't sure. seem like a lot, yeah. but like when you like a team in the NHL that's at forty seven percent expected goals is like not great. If you're at thirty nine percent, like the Ducks are that year, well, that's like <laughs> we're not winning any games. Like it's it does you don't have to be at twenty percent expected goals or, or possession to be bad. Like. The funny thing is they're completely outplayed, and yet they get probably their best win of the year because Penn State is a top-five team. Well, part of it is the way they play, obviously, but this is not a very good Notre Dame team. Like we, We've seen enough no, season to conclude that. Right now they'd be in the tournament. <laughs> right, because the Big Ten is, is just is, jacked. Is juiced. But like part of that, how good is it? Like, is that real? Is that not? I don't know. That's another What, the Big Ten? Conversation. Oh, well, yeah. Um. Last series to talk about, uh, <laughs> I don't know what happened here. Wisconsin beat Ohio State 4-0. Uh, shots were 34-22 Wisconsin. Yep. I mean, that's <laughs> not the same, but it's kind of like what Ohio State did to Michigan on the f- Friday night game. I mean, that was no, but... a blowout, but like you have to remember, like this is Wisconsin you let do that to you. Ohio, Wisco- State... Ohio State's a, a legitimate 
you know, tournament team. Ohio State did not score a five-on-five goal this weekend. Yeah. They scored two in two games, one at four-on-four and, and one, one an empty, empty netter. netter. Yeah. yeah, that was in the second game where they didn't even, like, look convincing on that win. Now, no. were those games, those games are in Madison? Probably. They had to be. There's no way. Yes. Yeah, okay. So, sort of the rule in the Big Ten, and you don't get to really do this because, you know, it's a, you know. 9,766 the attendance on Saturday. It's a lot of people watching Wisconsin. Maybe they're, did they all have uh, fire, oh man, what's his name? Tony signs. Fire, fire Tony signs. No, but they are all going on the terror watch list. <laughs> God, let's get into that. Um, Like, the rule in the Big Ten is like, you just, you, you're probably going to split or go 4-2 or something like that in most weekends because in this weekend, six of the seven teams, in fact, all six that played, got three points. But you cannot drop points to Wisconsin. In in, in a Big Ten like this... Good thing where, Michigan hasn't done that. <laughs> well, they did. Uh, but that's part of the reason why they're well, where so, they're at. So pairwise, like, just didn't move this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Everyone just stayed the same. And... I kind of feel like unless one team starts ripping off a ton of wins, we're just kind of locked in. But Michigan gets... And Notre Dame and MSU have a lot more to talk about because they're on the bubble. But, man, it just feels like especially Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, and Minnesota can just go to sleep for the rest of the season. And not much is going to change for them well, in terms of being catchable. So, okay. but Because it... the interesting thing is if you look at the other conferences... Yeah, their pairwise is like a roller coaster. Well, yeah, like there are teams that like will be like sixth, and then they lose one game, and now they're fifteenth. I mean, there's been some massive movements. Welcome to the ECAC. Right, it's just like <laughs> you're playing hockey on a trampoline and one loss, and you just get bounced right off the well, trampoline. But if Michigan doesn't want to like go on the road for that first series, which you know you'd have to win two of three games against a good team you know you may not be favored and then you kind of drop you're probably not going to be the eighth seed you're probably going to be a three or the eight overall you're probably going to be a three or if things go poorly you might drop down to even a four seed so at some point like they have enough talent they need to come through and actually finish a weekend yeah and you know i think penn state's a good team don't get me wrong but I think Michigan, as we'll get into now, starting to look at like their their stats and their preview and everything, Michigan has way more talent. And at some point, you have to flex your muscles on well, one of the one of the. You don't have to. You don't have to win every other home game, but uh, that they play. But like like you go into that last series against Notre Dame, and you look at that Notre Dame team, and you're like, you know, you got to beat these guys twice. Well, I will say what Penn State has that Michigan doesn't is way more experience. Penn sure. State's average age, 22.3. They sure. ran back a whole roster. Michigan sure. uh, has a lot of new players. So it's... So Penn State's... Uh, one thing I want to get in here real okay. quick first. Uh, St. Thomas. Did you see this headline? I'm sorry. St. Thomas has a headline. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chucky News. Yeah, yeah, $175 million stadium they're building. Well, I think for it's... Hockey for hockey and basketball. I presume, yeah. And right, probably speed skating and that's, curling. That's and... a lot. I mean... For that kind of a school. For that kind of a school. Uh, Maybe they're making all the, the children live outdoors or something. That's uh, Just taking all the dorms and combining them. That better, be a, that better be a nice stadium. The other thing I wanted to get on record, because we have been kind of trashing the Arizona Coyotes and the ASU Stadium. We have? Yeah, we've made jokes about that. We made that oh. joke about Logan Cooley at one point about 
the Coyotes playing in a college hockey uh, arena. And People kind of like it, right? Right. So what I wanted to bring up about it is the fact that they're actually like playing very well in that arena uh, relative to <laughs> where they're playing overall. They're 15, 27, and 5 on the season. But if you actually look at, at their home record, it's like pretty good. Um, and they've been able to knock off a number of good teams. Didn't they just beat season. Vegas? They beat Vegas last night, yeah. So I wanted to bring it up because it's a point of evidence towards the idea that actually uh, college hockey arenas can be pretty good home venues. Um, well, yeah. I mean, especially those intimate settings, if you have people that are actually care and are going to yell and such. I mean, the Coyotes are 9-6 and six in regulation, or sorry, 9-7 and seven in regulation at home this season. Is that better than the Sun, the Ice Devils? Oh, I almost called them Sun Devils. Whoops. Ice Devils. I don't know. I'd have to look that up. Okay. But. All right. Let's talk about Penn State before all of our viewers have to have their third bathroom break of the podcast. Viewers, listeners, something. Penn State is 18-7-1 overall. Pretty good. 8-7-1 the Big Ten. That is a reflection of, you guessed it, the Big Ten. They're third in pairwise. Um, ain't played nobody in the non-con, but have won enough games in the conference. Fourth in Corsi, there's a surprise, because anything that crosses the blue line is officially a shot. This is where I think Michigan can make some hay, is they're 16% on the power play, which I rem- remember we noted that when Michigan went to State College and they just like scored multiple goals in the power play. And you're like, hmm, yeah. And they're 79% on the kill, which is not great. So if Michigan can... You know, numbers do bear themselves out. If Michigan does get a special teams weekend, that could be distinctly to their advantage. Uh, they have four. They only have, and this other thing, they only have four skaters that are scoring over 0.7, 0. 0.5 points per game. One of them is 0.81, and the other one, the other three are all 0.77. So they don't really have like a star. They just have a few guys that are involved in some goals. No, but they have. <sighs> Eight players who are playing at close to a 20 goals per 82 type pace. Um, it was the last time a college hockey team played 82. <laughs> no, I'm just contextualizing that. Okay. If you tell me an NHL team has eight players who scored 20 goals that year. I would tell you that they would lose to the Avs in the second round. I would tell you that they're a very good team. Um, That's, and and okay. would be in the playoffs. I know you're referencing the Blues. Right. Um, Do you think Ryan Zook is listening to this? No. Well, I don't know. But... The point being that, like, that's a lot of depth scoring. And especially when you face some teams more like Michigan where it's kind of loaded up and you have just a few guys who have done well, a lot of the scoring this and year. and especially if Mackey doesn't play. Right. Like, that's, you know, that's what dropping him down to that second line did. Is and it- that, it also is something to me that is somewhat of a market inefficiency at the moment. Like, we talked about this with the crack in the NHL last week, that, like, having four lines you can roll and yeah. get goals from is actually something you can corner where... Uh, like just a lot of teams aren't equipped. It's almost like being a post up big in the NBA now, where I do think there's like still some actually increased utility in that because now everyone's going stretch five, and if you actually have someone that can back down on like a little six foot eight center, then like you can actually exploit because well, of the way the game is has been shifting. And in college hockey, it's not like it's been shifting, but a lot of teams have a ton of goal scorers. Right? It's Michigan football the last two years. Right. Where yeah. We're going to pound you, yeah, and paving, you can't do anything about it because you're playing with six defensive backs. Paving vipers. Exactly. Uh, so uh, when you have the ability to roll three scoring lines and get a little bit from your fourth line, and and then uh, you play teams like Minnesota, Michigan that have these star top lines, that's an uh, an area that you can kind of can kind of exploit. 
Uh, they have two late round picks. I think a sixth and a seventh rounder. So it's always like that. Yep. Um, but I mean, the, Liam Soulier, nine twenty one. Yeah, that's been the key to their season. Two nine twenty one, two point two one GAA, and you know we saw him. He looked good. Yep. And you know Michigan's faced some decent goalies this year. Um, it's going to be interesting. You're going like you said. You're going to have like the waves of good players against Michigan's stars. Um, you know, Michigan has generally been pretty good at home, sa- save, you know, when they've actually had players. Um, it's going to be interesting because Penn State is probably going to co- is going to come in the higher ranked team and Michigan is probably going to be the more sort of known team with the players that people recognize and sort of the star power. Um, but Penn State has, you know, the record this year, at least non-con anyway. Um, they're about 500 in the Big Ten, which just like any, anybody else, they've also played two more games than Michigan. I mean, this is a big weekend. If Michigan can get a sweep here, now all of a sudden, you know, you have two games and you only have three points to make up. And that's one thing that Michigan will have as a, as a, an opportunity in the last few weeks is they're going to play two more games than pretty much everyone else. Yep. And... And they have Penn State and Wisconsin. And they've generally done very well against Penn State at Yost for a while now. And... You know, you have Wisconsin coming in. They did less well against Penn State at Madison Square Garden, but uh, they beat him once, I think, a Connor year. Okay, they I'm lost to about that, the one with the Quinn Hughes year. Was that at MSG? Yeah. It was oh, like a terrible game. Yeah. Well, uh, so anyway. Luke, don't throw the puck backwards yeah, at your yeah, own net and right, give up breakaways. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is a big weekend. It's it's very different playing them at Yost versus Hockey Valley, and. Uh, a chance to kind of move up the standings, but... I mean, let's be real. Michigan isn't winning the Big Ten. But no. finishing second or third, which I think both are still on the table, you can then at least host not only the opening round, which I think is going to be a big deal, because you're not going to get a cupcake. You well, could if you finish second. Well, that's true. Um, well, so there's some incentive. But then also you would get to then host the semifinal, which is a one-gamer. Well, I think it's, for me, less about host. I mean, that's an advantage to second, yes. But I think hosting the semifinal is less important as it is playing... In it? Ohio State or Penn State in a semifinal versus mm-hmm. playing Minnesota. That's a good point, too. So, stuff on the table this weekend. Uh, both games, I believe, at 7 o'clock... Friday night on BTN Plus, I think, and Saturday on regular old BTN. So everybody should be able to at least see one of the games. Yeah, I mean, score one for actually getting real broadcasters. Cast 5.13 for Alex Drain, David Astronaut. Come back next week where we will be beating up on Wisconsin even more than normal.
Salve Regina, Fitchburg State, New England College, UMass Dartmouth, Anna Maria, Post, Westfield State, SUNY Potsdam, SUNY Canton, Worcester State, Southern Maine, SUNY Cortland, SUNY Morrisville, Assumption University, St. Anselm, Riviere University, and they're playing Franklin Pierce University this weekend. 